Hey folks, if you've been listening to The Razor Show the last couple months, you heard me talk about the Game Time app and how it can save you some cash. But now we're getting down to crunch time. Just a couple regular season games here left for the Pats. Got your Bills game, got your Dolphins game. Now's the time to jump on that app. Get after it. Easy to navigate, easy to find these deals, and there's opportunities here for the final couple in Foxborough. Now, now, all of a sudden, Game Time is hooking you up with, for the holidays with a little $10 credit. And here's what you need to do. This is important. Download that Game Time app in the Google Player App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account, and then under the billing section, use the redemption code The Athletic in all caps. Once again, that's The Athletic, all one word, and you get ten dollars off your first purchase right out the gate. You get a great deal. That's free money, peeps. So credit is going to be available here, though, for only the first thousand people that do this redemption. And it expires at the end of the year. That's coming up fast. So go out there, make your moves, and score some last-minute tickets. Welcome to the Razor Show with the Athletics' Nick Underhill and Jeff Powell, plus three-time Super Bowl champion Matt Chatham. Hey, hey, hey there. It's the Razor Show. Matt Chatham, happy to be doing this. I love these one o'clock games. I'm actually recording this uh, Sunday evening. So I got an opportunity to ooh, drive back and forth to Nessa and did that once early in the day, do our pregame chat, and then head back to my kids' hockey game, uh, which I was only able to see a period of that because I had a race to a monitor to go check out the Pats game uh, to get deep into my notes for that and then race from the Pats game back up to Nesson uh, to do our post-game stuff. And uh, then I had to make my way back from Watertown down here. Uh, I had dinner with a the family. They were hanging ornaments and doing the whole family deal, which I know a lot of people are doing this time of year. Many of you probably beat me by a weekend, but uh, schedule dictated we were going to do it now. But then after all that family and work stuff got cleared, I was able to sit back down and go back through the game and take a giant breath and not go through every nitpicky little play, but hit the big ones, right? And um, got through that a couple hours time and I'm able to take a stretch, have a couple beers and, uh, you know, sit down and, uh, do a podcast on a Sunday evening. It's a great feeling. Obviously, uh, them winning is nice. Of course, the Patriots, uh, knocking off the Bengals in this game is a good, is a good plus, but just also one o'clock games, the sort of the day being done, being able to knock it out tonight, not getting up at a stupid hour tomorrow morning to watch the film, to got to do the pod and all those kind of things. Just, uh, I don't know if you can tell if it's in my voice, but uh, happy fella, happy fella doing a night podcast here. Loving doing the Razor Show for you guys as it always is. And, uh, you know, I, I like that uh, it's obviously a good feeling as someone who studies this stuff for a while, uh, long year, you know, dating back to when we were, you know, doing camp availabilities back in May and or whatever it was, the the summer, the, the, the spring stuff, then the summer stuff, then camp. And all of that. And to get through a season that's certainly had its ups and downs. And, uh, you know, to have a game like this where a lot of the things that I've been talking about to you, you folks on this pod start to come to fruition, right? It's, it's never like, hey, I say it this week, it's going to happen this week. It's more just, okay, I can see all the puzzle pieces on the table. I can see them starting to fit together. I don't know if they'll come all the way together. I don't know if we're talking championship here. That stuff all gets decided later. But... Where I thought the pieces would lie and how I thought they could best fit together, some of that stuff's starting to happen. So uh, that's a good feeling as an analyst. That's independent of Patriot anything. It's just when you spend a lot of time, you spend a shitload of time on anything in life, uh, and then when it yeah it starts to come as you know as you generally anticipated, that's a good thing. Is this a is this a amazing you know uh, video game numbers offense? No, it's not at all. And I think we understand that. Will it become one? I will never, I will never bet against that. Uh, but the way they move the ball, the occasional seam route off play action to one of the two tight ends, move the ball efficiently and with great toughness in the run game with a lot of pull scheme and uh, gets, getting guys out into space, your athletic alignment they have with Tooney, Wynn, and Mason. In, in, you know, spe specifically, those three guys are great screen blockers. They're great edge blockers. They're great uh, double and climb blockers. Uh, that's the kind of running game stuff they really excel at. 
And then they've got really big receivers on the roster with both Sanu and Harry. And then, you know, Edelman's a dog. He's not a big guy, but he'll stick his nose in there. So you've got sort of three guys out into the pattern that if it's going to be a heavy run team, I mean, shoot, the Patriots just rushed for 175. That's a great day's work, right? They were going against, yes, a bad rush defense, but let's be honest. It was a bad rush defense, a bad rush defense against the Chiefs, and the Chiefs played better. So it doesn't just matter where they were ranked. These guys were both poorly ranked in that regard. So this was just a better day of work, you know, even especially considering last week was a home game against a bad rush defense and they couldn't rush the ball at all. And this was a road game against a bad rush defense and they ran the shit out of the ball. So that's good, right? <laughs> These are positive things. So it's easy to see how this could go if they continue to improve. Uh, there are certainly plenty of warts still out there, but it's a win. It's a blowout win. And I, I made point of this throughout the week. I don't know if you catch it on my athletic stuff or maybe more, uh, more Ness and stuff, but uh, the one thing about the Bengals that really stood out to me is I, I think there's definitely a distinction in in the NFL, you know, that that I certainly experienced as a player, but then also as an analyst. Seeing now, there's a big difference between being a bad team and sucking. And the Bengals are a bad team, but they don't suck. And I think that's probably something that you may have gleaned from a lot of Belichick's comments throughout the weeks. Throughout the week, excuse me. There's a lot of players. But there's not a team that he respects, if that makes any sense. Not, not him. I'm not saying he doesn't respect him. But I'm saying there, there's the way the unit has come together. The, um, they certainly have holes. They have problems. They can't finish games. They don't put up a lot of points. There's there's certainly issues. It's not a complete team by any by any stretch. But Geno Atkins is a really good player. Uh, Carlos Dunlop, really good player. You know, uh, Tyler Boyd, up-and-coming player. Uh, Joe Mixon, holy crap, really good runner. You know, really, really good runner. He's just, you know, been in and out. But when he gets going, really good runner. One of the best out there. Uh, you know, Tyler Eifert, a guy they've had a lot of uh, appreciation for. Stuck in a bad offense. I think a lot of people in the NFL probably forgot he was still there. It's been a, a dead offense for the year. John Ross, really fast guy. You know, not a very, uh, not a catch gobbler. But, you know, there's enough things there that's like, yeah, they, they could be a little bit, they could be a problem. We'll see how it goes. And uh, I think the what I men- mentioned, though, here off the top of this, uh, what, what the Bengals have been sort of curious about, the, the distinction between being a bad team, not winning, having a bad record, and sucking, which to me is getting blown out all the time, is they didn't suck. They don't get blown out all the time. They've actually played a lot of close games against teams that are pretty good. One-point loss to Seattle, who's the one seed in the NFC now. So, you know, the Bengals don't win, but they don't suck. Suck means you get beat by 30 or 40 points pretty consistently and regularly, and that that's not the case with them. They lost to Buffalo by four. Again, Buffalo, pretty good team, you know, and we'll talk more about them in the upcoming week. So Bengals lost to them by four. Bengals lost to the Steelers, I believe it was by six, uh, and they lost to the Ravens by six, six or seven, one of those, but single scores. So, you know, those are the four that jumped off uh, jumped off the top of my head. There's another close one with Oakland, a close one with Cleveland, but I don't know how your feelings are about those two teams. Those are two more middle of the road than rather than good. So, you know, the point of it is, yes, they certainly had games where they got blown out. The second Ravens game, they got blown out. Uh, there were, I'm blanking on some of the others without, you know, I'm taking these all off the top of my head. But the point of it was, they kind of had a penchant. They've kind of had a penchant throughout this year for playing some good teams tight. And, and not winning, they always lose, right? That's I mean, they got the record they got by, by virtue of being a team that eventually loses. But... They kind of make it ugly a lot. So, you know, they've had a, a number of close games against good teams. So when you blow them out, you're batting above the curve. You know, you're, you're doing much better than the field has done against this group. And that's a good thing. You can't ever bitch about that, especially when you do that to them in their place. So, um, you know, with all the distractions, all the nonsense going on this week, you have to feel really, really good about this. Is that a performance? If you cut and paste it into a Super Bowl, you win? No, no, nobody's saying that. But it's there was a certain unique challenge to this, and they answered it and went above and beyond what would be expected. You went by 10, you're happy. You went by 17, you're happy. You went by 21, you're really happy, right? Because that's because of the nature of the challenge and how they do have a lot of good players and tend to make things a little uglier than they did in this one. It was ugly for a half, and then it wasn't. So <laughs> you make your adjustments, you play better in the second half, you you blow the top off things. So that's the kind of stuff to be proud of. And uh, in the NFL, you don't just take those, you're, you're thrilled with them. So I know there's going to be a lot. You know, basically, I already kind of sort of heard some of the murmurs in postgame from from various places, and uh, you know they're they're going to immediately attempt to discredit this one. But whatever. You know, a year ago, we went through this nonsense where after the really bad Steelers game, or maybe it was the Dolphins. Well, I don't remember one. One of those late losses. Then the Patriots beat the shit out of the Jets and Bills, and it was like, yeah, neither of those games matters. They don't matter. No, no, they really mattered. Why? Because it was a great week of work. It was a good week to get better because they needed to get better, and the Patriots needed to get better. They needed this game of work against good pros that hadn't 
been on a collection sort of that was put together well to, to win games. But it, you know, there was a lot of individual battle, battles won here against good players, and that's, there's value in that. So going out and beating the shit out of the Bengals uh, is is yeah it helps you know I don't know, momentum if you want to talk about that but just it just you know it's a good thing it's never something that you wanted to cry and it's not oh they still suck and that wouldn't have been good enough that that's not the point that shit's stupid did you get better did you meet the challenge of the day did you advance with relative health and uh, are you able to get even better from that and that that's that's the most important thing in the NFL. The idea that, you know, someone would point to this game and go, oh, that proves nothing, they're still fucked, didn't watch the 2018 Patriots. It's just, you can't you can't live in that frame of mind covering this team. It just, it would make sense. It, it basically tells you if we're not paying attention. So it, it's not, these wins don't foretell something else, but they also don't, uh, for, no, they don't foretell something else good, they nor, nor do they foretell something bad. It just, you shouldn't do that. It's just, again, it's just not paying attention to the history of the team and how they change and adjust and how they improve. Uh, a good day's work is a good day's work. It doesn't matter who the fuck it's against. So, all right, moving on. Um, let's uh, dive in here to the game, and I'll give this big old caveat because I've done this a few times this year where I've gone kind of hardcore breakdowny on uh, – on the uh, on the broadcast copy, and it's fucking impossible. I have been, <laughs> been sort of whisper screaming that all year, if, uh, if that's a thing. Um, I just did it again, and I was like, you know what? I was really interested to see what the particular run scheme was that Pats were hitting on on a few of these plays. And I have a general sense, but I really want to see the end zone copy and see from the back and see who's winning their blocks, who's losing, you know, who's getting the great push, how they're you know transitioning out of the combo blocks and things like that. The cuts and what the reads were for the back, it's really hard to tell in what we're shown. So I'm just going to go with the general theme that I thought they blocked and ran the ball pretty well. You know, seven out of eight runs are positive runs. You know, there's maybe still one or two more, uh, you know, out of 10 that they would like that continue to be these negative runs, these right at zeros or maybe a negative or maybe just a one that needs to be a three, that kind of thing. So it's not, it's not a finished product. I mean, it's a 175 that you'd have been much happier if it was a 210, but I'm saying that in complete candor, but that's still a good day's work. So especially with two really good penetrators in Atkins and, uh, and uh, Dunlop up there kind of screwing things up with your pull scheme stuff. So they, they can be disruptive. So when you're able to gash them, get them all blocked up, climb second level, get people blocked, it's, it's a good thing. It's not bad. So <laughs> let's uh, let's dive into particulars here. We'll go right through the game. Uh, but not every game, every play, but we'll do the big one. So uh, initially, I would say that first series, just sort of sum it up. We're not going to go play by play, but we'll sum it up. Trap plays to Michelle. Some sort of trapping element. Now, to those of you out there that don't have the football background, I'll do my best to kind of just uh, simplify things. But basically, a trapping element of any kind is when someone is coming from one area to another area and then inter- inserting themselves into the line as a blocker. You're kind of allowing a defensive player to come up the field, and you're trapping him. You're you're letting him think, oh, I'm in the backfield, I'm going to make the play, and you hit him from the side. So there was a decent amount of trapping in this game, and uh, as just a general concept, it wasn't the same play over and over again. Sometimes it's a tight end coming across, and trapping. Sometimes it's a uh, back motioning. Sometimes they're using the wide receivers to tr- to sort of uh, seal blocks, almost as if they were whamming. But it's not a real wham. But uh, again, that's another into the weeds term. So I'll stay away from that. But just say as a general concept, relative in- interior runs. It's not particular gap or anything, but things that stayed within the tackles that came off of some sort of trapping element, some sort of trapping. Uh, trap a gap kind of thing uh, was was good for them, and it seems to be one of the things they they have really had some success. You look at the best run plays over the last three four weeks; they a lot of them have this in common. So that was good to see. Um, if let's see, go back in here. Do, 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 do. Oh, jet sweep with Harry. So one of the first times this guy gets touches. Uh, well, I'm sorry, and I didn't mention this the trapping stuff. Uh, one thing I love about that. So I I was doing sort of a general theme there on all the the run plays that were positive and what what, what kind of. Uh, was the similarity between many of them. Um, also, one thing I really like, and I think this is something that it will be kind of poo-pooed or whatever, or looked over, or said, oh, that's not enough for these big players. Uh, they really, this team blocks really well on the second level. Uh, and I'm not talking about the linemen, I'm actually talking about the receivers. And so people, oh, blocking receivers, here we go. Well, you know what, it won the game on this day. It really was an important factor. Go look at Nikhil Harry and Mohamed Sanu's work on the second level. Uh, a lot of these, the screens that broke with James, the screens that broke with Sony, uh, the catch and run stuff, the jet sweep stuff, 
all those have the element that needs to happen at sort of the, the intermediate portion to make it go from a six or seven or eight yard gain to the ones that end up doing 25 and 30 and sometimes touchdowns. All that stuff is happening because they have really good downfield blockers. That's hustle shit. That's guys that are coachable. That's sort of the stuff you really want for the teams that kind of have the right attitude about things, right? You get the right kind of dude that is willing to go make that block, is hungry to go have that block. And I think the one thing you love about Harry thus far, beyond just his, you know, catch and run ability and you know, ball skills and all that kind of stuff, is he really likes to hit. He's really physical. He loves to go kind of pick on DBs. I mean, he's a 6'4 human. He's 6'4 and skinny, you know, so he's 6'4 and 220 or 10, or I don't know what he weighs. But the point is, he's not like, like a, I'm a 6'4 guy. So I can imagine how fun it would be to just go block DBs at my height. Now, you know, granted, I'm probably 40 pounds heavier than, uh, the, than Harry, but th- that's not the point. The point is uh, when you're that tall and long and you got good strength to you, even if you don't have the base, picking on DBs and safety is pretty fun, man. I'm, I'm sure he just – he really – I'm not sure. I'm watching him. He really loves to get after him. He's the bigger man going on the littler men, and he really is aggressive with him. And Sanu's always kind of been that way. So they added in two guys who really block well in the second level. Think, in contrast, Jacoby Myers is a willing blocker, and Phil Dorsett is a willing blocker, likes to do it. But neither of those guys are real big and physical. So when you put Harry and Sanu on the field as opposed to Jacoby and Phillip alongside with Jules, you get much better second level inter, second level blocking to allow these runs to break, to allow the catch and run pass plays to break, to allow the screens to break inside and out. That's a good thing, and that's a it's a different look. It's you know it's the you know, first guys off the bus kind of offense where everyone's tall and big, and uh, for the kind of stuff they're doing right now, and they're not you know they're not putting four or five hundred yards offense on. They're just Hitting a player two or three a drive, winning with field position, doing uh, converting the turnovers, and uh, you know tonight they converted one for one on the run, one red zone opportunity. So uh, that's the kind of group they are. So if they're built that way, getting Sanu and uh, and uh, Harry on the field together, beyond just how and when they're thrown to, that little extra part is something that that should not be overlooked. So I wanted to make sure I made a point of that to make people aware of it because uh, it's 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 there. It's not on the air quote tape because I'm not watching the L22. It's on the broadcast, so it's something that can be even seen in that. So um, third and 10 is the white screen, James White screen. So again, that's that kind of fits in that same drive. Uh, the fact that they're big monster play that breaks was a third and, de- and 10 play. Again, shows some road toughness. Also shows a problem first and second down to get to that point. I mean, that's obvious. So we're not talking about a perfection here. But the fact that their score, big breaker on that was uh, – was a uh, was a screen and recall that earlier in that drive James White had his first play of the game which is catch and run big run by White uh, 25 yards into the flat so they used him a lot of different ways ways in this game screen player also aligned in the slot that's got a drop in that in scenario but there were moments where he was actually a wide receiver and uh, the other one was just you know from the backfield and catching balls in the flat so James had a had another solid day. Again, as I mentioned, not perfect, but I think that's kind of the theme that you can go through with all these guys. Good positives, but with a negative. Uh, stuff they'll continue to work on, as they always do. Now, Pat's offense is out there. I'm sorry, Pat's defense was the – this was the one really, really shining bad defensive series of the day, and there was a lot of bad tackling. A lot of it was on Joe Mixon. Um, I made mention of this in last week's pod that Joe Mixon, to me, was a, one of the better sort of dual running backs out there. Uh, just we haven't seen a lot of them, so it's hard to make over-the-top statements. You don't want to, you know, try, compare it into like an Ezekiel Elliott – Feels a little unfair because Zeke has been playing. He had so many more snaps of NFL football, but you see how he could be that kind of player because he's a real good stop-start guy, and he's got great, you know, sort of get in and out of breaks quickness, and he can kind of squeeze around blocks and sort of weird angles. He's he's good at finding small spaces, but he also is a finisher, man. He he's a head down, get through tight spaces, in the gaps, pop out the other side, fall forward each and every time. He's just he's just a he's a pretty uh, pretty dynamic dude on a, on a team that's not very good. So it would be interesting to see, you know, again, put Joe Mixon with, uh, you know, with the Chiefs offensive line or something like that. And Joe Mixon might be MVP, you know, other than the quarter, the non-quarterback talk, you know what I'm talking about. But Mixon's also been banged up a little bit, so maybe I'm going a little too far out over my skis there. But the point is I got a lot of respect for that dude. And, when you know, it still doesn't make it okay. They need to tackle better. There were several guys on there who were really good tacklers defensively who still should have got him down. But I think what happens is a lot of time early guys take their shots. You know, you, you, you launch, you leave your feet. You're looking for either the knockout or the big wrap as opposed to just grabbing him and getting his ass down. So there was a lot of sort of he's doing jump cuts and instead of you know jump cutting with him or breaking down and just saying, hey, let's just get him down, there was the take a shot, try to you know get the big hit, and that doesn't work. So you could see later on in the day they're like, okay, none of that. 
we're we're all we're all breaking down. We're gang tackling this guy. He's too good to just take shots at because he'll sidestep him or run through him. So uh, anyway, that's that series was a whole lot of that, and it ended poorly. <laughs> so <laughs> ends in a touchdown. Pat's offense is back on the field. Second eight dropped by J- James White again. Real positive day for James. I put this drop by him is kind of similar to what he had with holding penalty last week, right? So uh, last week he had a really clean day, very productive, but he did have one of those holding penalties on the third down or whatever that kind of killed a series. Uh, second down and long, something like that. Later in the Chiefs game, killed a series kind of deal. So, um, you know, they, uh, I shouldn't say killed a series. I just recall that it moved it back and made things really, really difficult. So, that's you know, it, it's the part of the thing about being a leader. Like, James has always been really, really accountable in his post-game press conferences. He talks about it even later in the week, any of the media stuff he does during the week. Radio stuff and things like that. Just any, usually the comments I hear about him are, yeah, I got to do better. You know, like I looked, it starts with me, blah, 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 that kind of thing. So, you know, he's always kind of taking it like, hey, seven or eight really awesome plays today, one bad one. Can't have that bad one. That's, you know, that's kind of how they think. And uh, that drop by him was on second and eight, and there was room there to get this to like third and two or better if he makes first guy miss, which he so often does. But they didn't, and that drive stalled. And I think it's in part to just a wide open guy not executing. So uh, everyone's got to be better. They'll continue to say that. Well, I'll continue to say it. And I, it always feels uncomfortable mentioning it of the, the guy who's actually doing everything else really well, but that was a bad play by James in the day, and it, it did hurt that drive. So Pat's defense comes out again. There is a big run there within the early sequence. They get into plus territory, and then uh, Gilmore gets a third down stop and man-to-man. Uh, great one. Held him to a field goal. So had uh, Boyd one-on-one. He's just right in his pocket. PBU there. Good play. Pat's offense is back out of the field. Sticks route on third and eight to Harry. This is important. Uh, so he does kind of a little out, outside sit. And uh, I, again, uh, I'm doing this. I'm waiting in these waters. I'm saying it was cover three. All I know is that there is a corner who's in off, who's in bail, and there's a flat player dropping underneath him. So uh, the flat player's linebacker end. I can't really tell or don't recall anyway. But there's an underneath zone dropper who's supposed to drop out underneath the route that's being run by the X or the Z. I don't know if he was on or not. But the point is the off coverage, the corner who's off continues to drop. So it kind of allows Harry to build on the route, but he's not going to get on top of it. He's going to have to stop short of it. Uh, and then that stop short is meant to be, can you get the ball there? Can you race it there in time before the zone dropper underneath it gets there? So he does a good job of kind of, uh, well, Tom does a nice job of throwing a ball to the outside away from that zone drop defender, and it's a race. And the reason I, I emphasize this part is that I played that role where you're the underneath drop defender, and you got to race right out to one. they got to get out to one, got to get to one, and get out and underneath one to make either the, the sail have to the ball sail a little bit to allow the corner to get down on it, or to make it be thrown so far outside that it's an accurate ball, you're kind of just trying to be a – or that you can, you know, if you're really good, give all the way out underneath it and pick it occasionally if, uh, if you can bait him into that kind of throw. But Tom got it out of his hand quick enough to where that wasn't an issue, threw it away – from both defenders to the sideline, Harry catches it well and gets first down. So, uh, the what's, reason I spent a little more time on that one is because that's a different kind of route than uh, really all the other stuff I've talked about with Harry. You know, I talked about how he could do the deep comeback stuff. That's not really this. This is uh, more of a sit between two coverage players thing, but just happens to be the outside. I was talking more about like the he's man to man and impressed or something. He's building on a guy and he goes up to 15 and comes back to 12, that kind of stuff, or 18 to 15 or 12 to 10 for a first, something around that. I expected more of that, expected more slant catch and run. We already talked about catch and run where it's like screens and things like that. Uh, but you know, and then we already talked about him as a jet sweep guy and the fade in the red zone. Like, those are all little concepts that we kind of hit on. I wrote on uh, this thing. I hadn't seen him do that because there is a little bit of a read element to that. There's a little bit of learning. You know, you have to see what the coverage is doing. You sit down in it and sit and turn to the right direction. And Braid delivers the ball there. That's a good positive. So, as an overall sort of going away with Harry kind of thing, uh, understand that he ends up with four touches, right? And I'll even really call it five because one of his big catches, his best catch of the day, really, uh, was called back. And uh, I'll still call it a fifth. I, you know, so it's not on him. It's like, okay, that would have been his fifth good touch. And the sixth one was the one where he got called for OPI, which I have a hard time holding it against him because watch it over and over again. It should have been defensive pass interference. He's grabbing his shoulder and turned him. He's got a handful of jersey. So really, you know, he didn't get the call, should have gotten the call. But at that moment, it's really he, with the correct call, you're affecting five plays. Five plays. That's, you know, we're in these previous weeks where we're talking about he affected a couple plays. One play in one game, two in the next. Five in this. That's pretty good. So (laughs) that's sort of this idea. Did he catch eight balls and have 120 yards? No. He caught two balls, and he had two carries. And one of them was a touchdown, and he blocked really well. And uh, he... 
almost should have uh, drawn a penalty that would have been a big, you know, a big movement of the sticks kind of thing. So that's it. That's good. That's a great step. That's, you know, that's, that's an advancement in the right direction. So good week for him. And I guess we can only presume that it'll build, you know, or hope that it'll build, I guess, if you're obviously cheering for him to keep going. Um, so uh, let's see. The next play, though, here, uh, this extends on a little later in the, in the drive. Um, on fourth and four, this ball goes off Sanu's hands for an incompletion. Saw a lot of hot taken on about that. Uh, I'm actually going to do a video, so check the video out tomorrow. Uh, my read on it, at least from this broadcast copy, is that Brady was late on the throw. Um, my view is that Sanu came out of the break, came out of a little bunch area versus that coverage. Defender was off. Sanu was over the sticks. Sanu had separation for like four strides, and the ball didn't come to him until the fourth. It really should come on that first or second out of the break. So I thought Tom was just a tick late with it, and uh, it seemed to sort of be processed a little bit slower. And I don't know why. Maybe he was looking at something else. or uh, It's hard to tell from, from just that view. I, I like to check the all-22 to see it. But I think on that particular one, a lot of the conversations, oh, how hard he threw it at uh, Sanu's hands, and granted, even even what I'm saying now, because Tom was late on it, it still needs to be caught. So I, I think what happens, though, is when you see it a little bit late and you know process that thing a little late and decide where you're going to go with it a little bit late, the throw comes in you know, as a as a fastball, and it was a high fastball. Still with the hands, still should be caught, not absolving Sanu, still need to make that play. But the old sort of goat stuff used to be, man, he hits, he comes out of that break, and the ball's arriving at the first or second step. And you just have to throw it hard because really you're beating it on anticipation. This one, to me, Tom was trying to get it there on velocity because he didn't anticipate it right when it came out and was open. So that would be one of the plays that I noticed that Tom wasn't sharp on. That, uh, But he wasn't solely you know, the problem because it still could have been caught even the way it was executed, but it could have been executed much better. So check out my video on that. I think that might be better visual than just podcasting. So Pat's D's back out there now. Uh, there's this John Simon retrace. This is really important. They had given up another couple of runs. We're now into the third series, I believe, Pat, for the Patriots defensively. And uh, John Simon is really the only guy to the right side who had read the screen pretty well. And what he did is called retrace. Like they're basically allowing the end or outside linebacker to come off the field a little bit. They're kind of, good, you know, pull it. Yeah, come on up here, buddy. You know, like, come on across. We're, oh, come get your sack. And they, they allow you to sort of invite you up the field. And then they dump it in right behind you. But he sensed it. He smelled shit. That's what we were used to used to call it. It's like, hey, why was that so easy? Smell shit. Oh, I smell shit. And then, you know, get out of the room. You know, that kind of thing. So I thought... Uh, I thought Simon did a really nice job of smelling shit and then getting back downhill, finding out that it was a screen, and uh, dragging him down from behind. It wasn't like a perfect play. It wasn't like he immediately sniffed it out, uh, but he got it down, um, you know, basically before it got out into the out into the blocking sort of established stuff in space and became a real fucking problem because they had it set up pretty nicely. But he made a nice play and uh, drug it down to keep it to third and something. Uh, and that was important because then they get the stop on third and one, then they get the stop on fourth on one. That was the big sort of first half stops thing that really was a nice momentum shift for the defense because they'd been having some problems with the run game prior to that. But then all of a sudden, two bit, a third and one stop, fourth and one stop, and in those two stopper sequences, Danny Shelton had made some really fucking nice plays. Stands up the guy in front of him, immovable, and it's the kind of contact when he hits people as they hit the line he doesn't move backwards and go, you know, the runners, when they hit Dan, go backwards. So Danny Sheldon, really nice there. And again, I think on this day, if I remember correctly, I don't have it in front of me, but I thought it was John Simon, uh, Danny Shelton, and, D- and Dietrich Wise. All three guys, th- th- I think those were your three top tackles, if I remember correctly. And uh, that's an interesting thing because those are three super unheralded guys on a day where the defense really – uh, had a couple of bad series, corrected themselves, and then played lights out uh, to have those guys be up at the top. No, look, I, I, I believe it was actually Bentley. I think the Bentley was up there as well, uh, linebacker number 51. So, yeah, they, they just, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's good stuff. When you start having your uh, role players have big weeks, and several of them did, and there are going to be some weeks where you need that. So, uh, moving on here... Um, Let's see, Pat's offense is out there now. Uh, one thing I'll sort of highlight to you is I think I don't think Isaiah Wynn had a good week off against the Chiefs. We covered that. Uh, but I think he played much better today. It uh, wasn't perfect. There's still, you know, the occasional pass pro, uh, pass, uh, 
protection breakdown for him. I think he's a clearly a young player in that regard. He's sort of dominate one, win one, lose one kind of thing. Uh, so sometimes when the loses, it doesn't mean sack or pressure, but the ball comes out because you can sense it's coming. So he's just he's just got to become more consistent. That's part of being a young player. He's working on it. Uh, but I think one of the things he does exceptionally well already um, is his ability to sort of engage one block to help a buddy and then climb to another. Usually big humans don't do that well because they don't transition. They don't get into sort of I'm anchoring and then stop, start and get going up to another level and be able to cover three or four or five yards to get to the next guy. But what uh, Wynn does is he is really quick-footed for a big human. So he gets into some blocks and then transitions to another block really quickly, bounces off things. So a lot of times they'll pick up the second block um, to help plays become, that would have been modest plays, to become bigger plays. I think that's something he does really well. Uh, and that was one of the things that happened on one of the big Michelle runs on this particular drive that I'm talking about. So basically he engages, helps with the one, climbs and gets the next. So when you got one guy that can help seal a block, to help his buddy take it over really easily and then go up and make one his own on his own. That's, that's an asset. That's what, that's why they are first rounders. <laughs> you know, if you have that kind of agility at that big body type, and again, we're not talking about finished product here. We're not talking about a guy who's winning every pass pro yet. Um, that is the crack in the armor right now that he's working on. But I, from preseason snaps from a couple, you know, a couple camps of seeing him, I think he's going to be a good pass pro guy. He's just, he's just raw, but, uh, this part very good. And it fits what they're trying to do right now. Anyway, needing to run the football, doing a lot of the trapping scheme stuff, doing a lot about the runs, flip plays, toss plays, stuff that gets to the edge quickly. You need the guys to move well up front and are also still strong. And I think that fits win. So good week for him this week. It's probably, it's a confidence booster. There's going to be a lot of good stuff on film to help him go back and say, all right, let's take a, take a step forward here and have a good week against the bills. Pat's off. Offense is now in the two-minute series. Uh, this is the one that I incorrectly put the video out on uh, about, oh my gosh, how could Cannon and uh, Mason not pass off this little X stunt? So basically it's an end goes first, tackle comes around, ET stunt. So we called it U for the Patriots. U games just mean uh, the end goes first and then the tackle wraps as opposed to the more typical uh, tackle penetrates and end comes around and inside. But that's... This is not a visual medium. We're just talking words here. So basically, uh, two rushers switched lanes, and Cannon and Mason didn't pick it up. And to my eye, without looking closely enough, obviously, I thought, holy shit, how does Marcus not get off that? I've seen him pass that off so many times. Uh, but Jeff Schwartz, who we had on the Razor Show last week, a former offensive lineman, they're probably going to stand up for their own and see the good things, that are, the bad things that are happened to, to their type that they may pick up in a detail I don't, and he did. He knocked it out of the park. He noticed that, ah, oh, Marcus's right shoulder got grabbed. In other words, when we game, we do this as dirty. They're dirty to us too, though, so always always, always got to notice that. But <laughs> the, uh, the, the end got away with a bad one here because as he was – as he was uh, sort of, uh, who would have been? Would have been the outside guy. Yeah, the outside guy. The guy that was, the, the end that's coming in is you, with his left hand grabbing Marcus's right shoulder. So he's pulling that shoulder closed. So as Marcus is punching that down to send it to Shaq, he doesn't come off that to, to get the wrapper. And, uh, you know, it's dirty. It should have actually been defensive holding. You, you saw a defensive holding call go against Lawrence Guy, I believe it was, against the Chiefs. So those are pretty rare to get. Sometimes you'll get those on the backside when guys, zone run, uh, zone run teams or zone scheme teams are trying to get off and uh, climb to next level and stuff. And a lot of times the, the inline guys will grab and hold them to try not let them. It, you try not to get caught doing it, but it's it's part of it. So um, that was filthy. It was a good game. <laughs> but uh, as Schwartz noticed, it was really blatant and obvious. It was his outside pad being turned and twisted, and he wasn't able to get off. So that's really why that happened, not what I wrote in that tweet. So my bad on that one. Now, Pat's special teams is out. This is what I do not get. This is a great punt play. Why the fuck the punt team uh, is uh, punt return team, excuse me, for the Bengals was singling both Matthew Slater and uh, Bethel. Uh, Bethel's extended to one side and Slater's extended to the other. If you're going to single block those guys, which means you're going to rush eight, you're going to have eight guys in the box to go after. You know, eight almost always means rush, right? You don't hold up from eight. You, you, the reason you're bringing in eight is to overload and try to get to the punter. Um, but what you're conceding by that is you're singling gunners and most good gunners should always win against a single, uh, if, especially if the ball's kicked to your side on a single. So, um, for whatever reason, uh, I believe it was Erickson that was the punt returner, still fielded uh, a doubled single look. You never want to do that. Never, never, never. If you're going to, unless you get a really low flat ball and the singled guys are still, you know, 10 or 15 yards away, I guess that's a different situation. But if the ball hangs and then the, the, 
gunners have arrived, you have no chance. There's, it's just not going to happen. So both Bethel and Slade are singled, which is never going to happen on a normal return. It's only going to happen on a rush. And then you still attempt to, to field it and run with it? Are you kidding me? That was stupid. So that's, that's a really stupid decision by the punt returner, but great job by, by Slater of getting down there and punching it out, and Bethel's right on top of him to recover it. So, I mean, that's just that's two elite dudes that happen to be on the same punt team. And uh, I think generally what you're going to get from that, you're most often from now, I would presume, get that. If, they, if teams are going to single both, it's because they're trying to force a bad punt and then get it fair caught. Uh, you will rarely, if ever, see double singled, especially with those particular guys, and try to return it. Otherwise, things like what just happened will. Uh, so now, let's see. Uh, Pat's offense is up now. Cannon uh, gives up a sack by Dunlop. So this is when it kind of started rolling a little bit. And, you know, I... Uh, he just Dunlop, not grand in fairness, Dunlop is a really good player. Carlos Dunlop's like a, I don't know, he's like a nine or 10 year guy. He's been around for a long time, but he's still very skilled, still very good. This defense, the thing, the, you know, with Marvin Lewis a few years ago, the, the Bengals defense was salty and this is one of those salty players. Uh, but you know, that, that place has just really thinned out on the side of the ball. Linebacker and crew hasn't been as strong, I think, as it had been in years past. Uh, secondary is lose a guy here or there and offense is doing poorly and it's just really trended in the wrong direction. But Geno Atkins still a monster. Dunlap still a really good player. So that was obvious. So Cannon gave one up to him. The problem with that is that not that he gave one up. It's just that Marcus has had, um, you know, he's given up too many in the last three or four weeks. And I think sickness was attributed to go back three weeks. Then from there, it was sort of the, oh, is he still not quite well? And then last week, I just didn't think he played very well against the Chiefs. And I don't know. He, he still was listed as an illness. So I, I'm saying all these things, not to make excuses for him, but maybe to help you understand it, because I'm trying to understand it, because I don't quite get it. Uh, I'm saying all these things, and Marcus had really good series today, too. So I don't want this to miscolor what was going on. But he gave up a sack again. When you know He's usually a guy that you can leave out there on the edge. He's going to block whoever left in that happens to be and be fine. Um, but Cannon's had a rough little spell here. And uh, it's not rough little spell where a game was bad start to finish. Absolutely not. I mean, obviously, the, the 34 points they put up, uh, not are all defensive, though. I'm sorry, one of those was his defensive score. So mid-20s number. So there were good series for the offense, and he blocked well in many of them. But he did have a couple negative plays, and they're very obvious because that's what the broadcast picks up. And then we highlight it and say, oh, Marcus missed another one. Damn it. You know, so... I don't know. I just think full speed Marcus, uh, full, you know, full best part of his career, Marcus, uh, when that person puts it together, this would be a motherfucker of an offensive line. But if he's given up just the two or three or four a game, uh, and they end up being big, big negative plays, if it, especially if it like stops the drive kind of thing, um, you know, you can't have it. So, um, I'll, I'll touch on that and how they kind of accounted for some of that stuff later. Um, uh, today. Oh, and actually, in this particular play, I think this is sort of a, this is sort of a, you know, foretelling a little bit of what came later. There was a back that passed by Carlos Dunlop on that rush and just headed immediately out in the route. Could have chipped, didn't chip. Uh, Nick Folk makes the 46-yard field goal after that. What I'm saying about that is they started chipping later. <laughs> they started chipping, and on their touchdown to Harry, the back line throw, that was a chip on Dunlop. So I think they learned their lesson there. So uh, Ken is not above getting a chip for himself, and neither is obviously a young guy like Wynn. So I think if it's going to be that way to rush control, they're going to have to do it. It's just what it is. You suck it up, and then maybe you get to a point where they don't need that anymore. Or maybe you change it up. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. But uh, this is a time where I'm saying, okay, you know, the tackle play hasn't been sterling. Those are still both very good players. One with potential, one has done a thousand times, but uh, they're kind of on a stage right now where the offense isn't totally clicking. I don't think everyone can be island. It's just not the best way to go. Could they get back to a point where they were, where they were at the end of last season and they can do that? Absolutely. But uh, it'll build towards that. Let's say fairly, I don't think they can say we're, we're there right now. Now, second half has started. Gilmore gets his pick. Uh, and uh, let's see, gets his pick in man to man. This was just a, I mean, it's it's the one where his arm is kind of one arm's taken up in the coverage, whatever the heck he's doing, and the other arm it just sort of cradle catches it. He's all over Boyd. It's just great coverage. Why on third and longish or not third medium or whatever it was, you go to Gilmore just coming out of a break, man. That's that's a risk. But Dalton took it. 
He made the play. Pat's offense is back on the field. It's a flip play to White. I love these. So you're starting to now sort of integrate a little misdirection. You're starting to build things. The you know pre-snap movement as if a trap might go a certain, certain way. Get Tom reversing out in a certain direction. All the feel of a play one way and then turn and flip to James and just let James make play in space. Big one there. Next big play on this drive was actually a middle screen to Michelle. Why is that unique and different? Philly was the game where they couldn't fucking complete a screen to save their life, and it was a really rough day for screens. Um, now, I think with Isaiah Wynn back involved, like I said, he's a really good get-out-in-space guy. Um, and with these bigger you know, receivers, both Harry and Sanu on the field, they're good blockers in these screens. And uh, I thought this was not your typical on-the-edge screen, you know, where the back sort of blocks as if the edge or heads towards the edge and then turns, pivots, and is going to get the screen out there somehow, some way. And the different back, I'm sorry, different sort of play action by the quarterback, different look can get you any other way towards that edge. But those are screens that generally happen just outside and off the edge of the tackle box. This was a different kind where it's up inside and then the turn. So they don't do a lot of middle screen, I mean, at least not this year. But that middle screen of Michelle was something new and a little bit different and that brand new like it never like it's it's happened a lot just not this particular season and, and a lot of other teams do this but that was a big play for them and then now we're talking about the Brady to Harry touchdown where uh win got chipped for uh and I believe that was Dunlap best but Dunlap best I could tell but Brady had a lot of time just a four-man rush and they kind of looked like they were locating Dunlap because he was on the right side there not the left with Cannon so it was win that got the chip they basically decided fucking Dunlap is not going to ruin this play so that's a smart move. And Brady slides, resets, throws a dart to, to Harry on the back line, who, again, I don't think we got a great replay of exactly what he was doing in the route and how he decided to re- you know, redirect and sit, but uh, he did. So result-based, threw a laser beam to him. Harry made the tackle on the back line, and I believe that was his second catch. So he had the two catches, he had the two carries. That's his day. Uh, other than the one that, you know, got called back was a dead play. So Pat's defense is back out now. Gilmore gets the pick six. And what I liked about this is now they were matching him on Boyd and, uh, he was in the slot. So Gilmore's technically playing inside and he's got offside and he's got inside and off, uh, off coverage here on Boyd. And when you see guys that are really good cover dudes do that, first and foremost, if you're normally a boundary corner or, you know, if you're an outside corner, usually you're used to having the sideline work with you. I think off coverage works better for those dudes that they get stuck inside. Like, you know, you're normally a, a guy who plays out on the edge and all of a sudden you're like, okay, now I'm fucking on the inside and there's a lot more, you know, there's, there's two way go. They call it <laughs> the receiver can go left. He can go right. There's all sorts of space either, either side of me. I think guys like that would rather not press. We can, or now they're not be aggressive with it. Kind of let the route happen and route read because from off you can see things better. So you can really kind of take away a side. Uh, but in, it's a, I think it's a little, a little harder to take away a side if you get up and press because he can be immediately away from you on top of you. Even if he's stacked you for just a minute, he can go left, go right. That can be, I don't know, that sucks. I just know that as a linebacker, I always hated that shit. You'd much rather, you lo- it was always hard where they, you know they could go either direction. And what I saw here by Gilmore is, okay, Oh, I got a slot assignment because the guy they're matching with happened to align inside. I'm going to play him off and inside. So he's really sagging on the route. Why? Because he's going to let you run the route. You go ahead and run what you're told to run. You run that route, and I'm going to jump it. So he's off at like maybe eight-ish, and but he's just kind of sitting in the bushes ready to pounce. And when that out route happens for Boyd, it, it was it was either study or yeah, it was probably study. <laughs> so he said that route hits and he jumps the shit out of it. Really great play there. So, uh, you know, pick six, yeah, real game changer reminded me of Asante Samuel. So I don't know. was really good at kind of letting routes happen and, and reading sort of the progression and then just making you think you were good to go, let you out of your hand and just have a really quick and fast break on it. So, uh, Gilmore was, you know, you're the people that are arguing for the defensive player of the year. I don't study enough to know who's been having what kind of year other places. I can't imagine anyone's played the cornerback position better cornerback position better than him. If that makes you a defensive player of the year or not, I, I don't know. But uh Gilmore's playing tremendous. He's a monster asset for this Patriots defense. Uh now it's third and four. Pats D get the ball back again, because obviously you have to pick six. And JC Jackson now steals a fade. Here's the important part with this for me. So I went through this game digesting it, I think a lot like a like a lot of people, you know, paying attention to the Pats' offense. Can they take a step forward? They ran the football really well. Modest overall yards day. Not a super sharp day for, for Brady in the passing part of it. But 
they won situationally. They won, They scored when they had to. They made a handful of big plays. They did well in the screen game. The catch and run was pretty solid for them. Uh, they made a step forward. Is it you know? Is it the best bullet point of everyone out there's resume? No, but it was a step forward. And I say all that, and I'm flipping to the other side of the ball. The Gilmore thing because he has the pick six and he has a second pick. Looks like he could have a third. He's quote afterwards that he could have had a fourth. All that stuff, and. Uh, I think J.C. Jackson kind of gets lost in the day. J.C. Jackson had two picks. I, I found myself, maybe this is you know my own fault on Ness and we're going through all the big, big things that happen in the day. And young J.C. Jackson, second year, and I think he's had this you know now multiple times in his career where he's had a two-pick day. That's a big deal in the NFL. A lot of guys are really good long-time defensive backs. Don't get two in a day. And uh, he's had that happen now for at least a second time. I don't know. I'm not stat guy. That's no Chatham stats and information bank. But uh, I just wanted to say, you know what? This and these were this was not against like schmucks. This was a fade against Erickson, who is a young player himself, but he's been a productive guy for them this year. And he later on in the game gets another fade route against uh, John Ross, the the four two guy of, com, of combine lore from a couple years ago. So these, you know, J.C. Jackson is not the fastest human. He's not their fastest defensive back, but his ball skills are tremendous. The way he high points the ball, the comfort he 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 runs with uh, in, in tracking, and then still being able to put his body in position to get up there and make the play. He his ball skills are super special and helpful on this team because you already have a guy like Gilmore that you really don't want to throw against. And then you've got uh, Jason Cordy who's been in and out of the lineup with his being a little banged up. But uh, JC is another really good ball skills guy, much like Jonathan Jones. So you kind of have a lot of them all on the same rot- roster, which is really rare. So, I mean, that's a big part of the story behind why these guys are so good defensively. The secondary guys are not just fast and can cover, but they're a lot of really good ball skill guys. And that also goes with the disruption stuff, punching it out, stripping out, all that kind of stuff. Pat's offense now has it again. This kind of is to cap the whole thing off. And JC, um, excuse me, that's the trap to Burkhead. So not surprisingly, another one of these sort of inside sort of fold block of some sort. Someone gets trapped. I think Karras did a nice turn uh, to the right side. It's a little tough to me to tell on the broadcast exactly what the scheme was inside there. But the major point is it was nice and tight inside. Uh, Burkhead, you know, when one of these, I'm just using the generic term trap, but on, on, on one of these sort of inside ceiling kind of blocks, he pops through that particular gap, makes a super jump cup, and then at the second level, in the, right in the linebacker or safety's face, whoever that was, and then takes off and uh, shows some really nice bursts. So that that was a fun play for him. Obviously, it's a huge, huge joy to go back to your former team and have, make a big play like that to kind of close things out at the end of the game. So you could tell his, his teammates loved him. A bunch of guys traveling all the way from the – from the uh, bench all the way running to the end zone to congratulate him. I've done that as a teammate when you have like you know like a guy who hadn't scored in a long time or shoot Vrabes. We always have Vrabel. Vrabel score touchdowns and all the linebackers clear off the <laughs> clear off the the bench because you just want to go celebrate with a guy that you know doesn't normally get these things. So when Burke had uh, broke through, uh, that was that was cool to see how much his teammates uh, understood that it was a big deal and appreciated it for him. Uh, J.C. Jackson on this next route. We're back on Pat's defense here. He's the interception on the John Ross go route. Again, I th- the thing I will point out there is, you know, everyone knows that John Ross is this guy with a super fast 40, but that just hasn't really been a productive guy. But, uh, you know, he's had injuries. He's had just issues the last few years to get his career going where I think all that speed potential anyway thought it might go. But he's fast as shit, right? We all know that. That hasn't changed. Uh, th- that speed wasn't phony. It was real. Um, and JC Jackson is not the fastest corner. He's more of a ball skills guy. Um, and he's strong and a really good tackler, but he stayed on top of this route, which means that when he felt the urgency of it, he read it really well and stayed on top of the thing and then was able to be in the pocket when the ball arrived. So good on him. JC Jackson, it's not all about, you know, the fastest guy is going to be on top of the route. No, if you read it well and you get out of there in a hurry and realize what's coming and you continue to build on top of it, he can build behind you. But if you, you know, it's in, it's a part of this is anticipation. And, and J.C. Jackson is really good at the at the job that he has. He's doing his job. So anyway, Pat's stats that we'll go with here that they end this thing out, that kind of ended the game where we were just talking there. Pat's stats that I thought was kind of funny was uh, there wasn't a single – tackle, I'm sorry, a single sack or TFL. I remember the last time where Patriots, you know, dominated a game, 34 to 13 or whatever the final score was. I think it's something like that. Um, and they have five turnovers in the game. I mean, one of these is a special teams turnover, granted, but that's become a kind of a norm. And shoot, I would just bleed that into to defense, quite frankly. Uh, but you got four picks. 
two by, you know, two guys have two. And um, in a day like that where there's that much positive disruption going on, and the offense themselves doesn't turn it over once. It's a big deal. So uh, Brady had the, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, Michelle had the fumble uh, when Carlos Dunlap, Dunlap got some penetration on that short yardage play, and he turned his back to it and sort of just flailed his arm out there and it hit the ball out of Sony's hand. I don't think Sony was getting it either way, but it's, you obviously don't like to see the ball come out like that in a freak way. But in you know, it's, it's a sort of a bad play, but good play because Sony got on the thing in a hurry. So basically, you end up with no, you know, you end up with a fumble, but not a lost ball. So you're up 5-0 on turnover differential. I mean, what a day. But to have that kind of turnover differential day and not have a single sack or tackle for loss, it's kind of weird. Just It's a weird-looking box score. I've looked at hundreds, if not thousands, of these things in my life, and that's a weird box score. A five-turnover day without any negative behind-the-line-of-scrimmage tackles uh, of passers or runners. That's that's kind of goofy to me, but for whatever reason, that jumped out. But, okay, this is kind of the final on that. You know, good good day's work. Uh, you know, I hope I kind of covered that thoroughly enough, and there's plenty to work on there, and as we do sort of the Bills thing later in the week, we'll we'll dive back into it. We'll sort of uh, take a sort of sharper focus on what this team has grown. And I thought, again, good week of work. If you can find something to complain about this, you're living life the wrong way, in my view. So let's, uh, your football life anyway. <laughs> really quick statement on the, uh, you know, I guess I just am sort of obligated to say something on this at the end of this deal. Uh, the news came out from uh, Mondillo. You know, I can now say the name. I wasn't saying it before, but now that it's a public piece of information, uh, Mondillo's a, a good dude, uh, you know, a guy that uh, those of us who work with him in KSP like the guy a lot. He's always been a really solid dude. Uh, he has absolutely nothing it to do at all with football operations. He works over in KSP. He works in the other business unit that doesn't interact with the, the football team. And the idea that Mondillo wouldn't know that rule is, does not surprise me. And I'm not, I don't want to go on and on about this guy because I, I, now I've said his name three times and I, I almost feel bad doing that. Uh, he put out the statement. It was authentic. I know him well. It was from the heart. There, there's just there's nothing nefarious here whatsoever. And it, it, more more than anything, it kind of pisses me off that the guy's being drugged through, uh, you know, the mud. That even the KSP thing. These guys are either doing documentaries that are specifically uh, highlighting people who normally don't get attention. Yeah, like they're going out of their way to highlight a, a scout. Like these are the these are the people that are like under the finger fingernails of the organization kind of stuff. This is these are people who normally don't get shine. They normally don't get much much attention, and they make this series to try to bring attention to sort of the grunts and and the really good work and helpful stuff that these guys do, and that it's not easy. That's kind of part of the whole you know good doc making stuff. But they go out there and try to find these sort of niche stories, and they're really working hard, and. Uh, this fucking, you know, just it's just it's just so blown out of portion proportion. It's so silly. When we heard that audio, that was supposed to be this giant big exclusive thing, and you hear the Bengal security guy. And remember, this is in Cleveland Stadium. This isn't, isn't it's not the on-site security people. It's just oh, bring Bengal security guy over here in Bengal's media area or whatever the media area, whatever. And there's a bunch of there's there's all these people taping. Poor Mandela. I mean, come on. He went to the bathroom, and then they get after the freelancer. And I'm just thinking to myself, why? Why did someone just not say, "Hey, you're not allowed to do that here. You don't know that." And and for what those guys do at KSP at home games is they tape CNX. They tape the stuff that goes up in the game board. They tape the stuff that goes on all access. They tape the sideline stuff every week. They're not, they're allowed to do that. They have specific license to be able to do that not because it has nothing to do with the team it's just to package that stuff to put them in highlight packages and show bill talking to josh and so scar yelling at the offensive line and show tom talking to jules they get to tape the sideline they're allowed to so he gets a credential and goes to another city and it's for the purpose of this doc they credential him for that he knows he's there to film specifically these things cleveland's okay with it and bengals don't know about it i guess it's the more i thought about that i'm like is it really an oversight to not Notify the other team? I don't know. It's weird. Like, you, you need to get okay from the home venue, don't you? I don't know. Like, he's used to doing it at home. He goes on the road, and they okay it with them. Didn't ask the road team also? I don't know. I just It's so far-fetched that that is some sort of major oversight. It's just one of those things If as you set up to do it, and you've taken – hours of footage or an hour or whatever of footage or all the other things, the interview at the hotel room, the coming and going and how he does notes and how he prepares and all those things. These are good stories to tell. And the idea that as you're setting up to cap this thing off, you've taken a bunch of scenics at the stadium, you know, him making his way in and you're telling the story. 
And you set up a fucking monitor with a live feed to a big camera and a tripod in front of all these people. And you're there and allowed to be there. And you just don't know that you, oh, by the way, as you're doing this, don't, you can't shoot at this part. You can't shoot at the screen for, or shoot at the sideline from here. You can't shoot at the field in game to get your footage. Or at least you would have had to have gotten there okay. And that's the crazy part about this. If they'd asked the Bengals, hey, this is never going to change hands, which it never was. It's just simply used on our side, our business unit. We're making this doc. We'll even show you the footage. You can have a copy of the footage, and we'll, this is the use we're explicitly doing it for. If that conversation alone had happened, maybe we're not even doing this. But that's why I was so douchey that I, the way the security guy came up and said, uh, you, know, you know, I don't see the scout. I mean, like he didn't get it. And the, and it was like, the scout's not supposed to be on the field. There's not a picture of the scout. We're, we're the, what you're seeing through video is the scout's eyes. It's supposed to be his perspective. That's why we're shooting. It makes perfect sense. Uh, and no, I'm not the, you know, the, the guy you read about in the news 12 years ago, <laughs> the video department of the Patriots football team, they're in another city where they're not here. This is me. We're doing something different. What the fuck are you questioning me for this? Like, again, like this is a secret police stuff. So, at that moment, when the security guard and I heard in the audio, it's supposed to be the dun-dun-dun. Like, I swear to God, dun-dun-dun played in this guy's head as he said it. When uh, when Modillo's saying, hey, um, you know, I, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I'm I'm allowed to. He's not saying this, but I know in his head he's going, this is what I do at home. This is what we do. I'm just doing my job. Um, I do this at Gillette every week. What are we talking about? So why would it be a problem? I got credentials here. They told us we could. Like, I, like what is going on? And, you know, the Bengals come in hardcore and say, no, you can't tape the field. But when the security guy says, oh, um, um, I don't see the scout. I don't see him. And he's questioning him like that he was not doing something that he was saying he was doing. He just didn't understand the business of TV or doc making, what they were producing there. Um, but then when he came and then with Mandela says, okay, well, if that's how you see it and we were supposed to do an even more step than what I did and I didn't know cause shit, I just didn't know. Um, I don't work in the video departments of football operations where all these rules are. I don't do that. <laughs> this is just us here making a doc. What are you talking about? But at that moment when he couldn't quite understand where the scout was and why he wasn't there and all that kind of stuff on the video, cause that's not what they were doing at that moment. But then when he hit him up with it, and then and Mandela says, hey, you know, okay, fine, screw it, doesn't matter, that's not, it's not, it's up, no, it's a very little consequence to us, here, here, delete it, take it, I don't want it, I'm sorry, I didn't know, I'm sorry, I didn't know, delete it, you can have it, we don't need it. And when he says that, and he says, the damage has already been done, <laughs> the security guard says, the damage has already been done, I know in his head it's going, dun, 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 that was some, hey, I'm secret police here, hey, we got you, that's, you could hear him playing sort of, uh, playing copper in his head there, and that—that's annoying to me. I mean, this is not, this is not real police work. This is not. This is this goofy stadium security stuff, and that was so over the top and such bullshit to give to these people that it's it's just it's become such nonsense. And that, I think that's the thing that pisses me off the most about this. These are good people out there doing their job, and the Patriots they were they were never doing they never cheated in relation to to video. They got a digital copy when they could have just gotten a visual copy. But the information you get either copying it from the digital or writing notes from from seeing it uh, live time are identical. The final product's the same. So the idea that they all got blown out just because of, you know, defiance of a, a, a memo, that's what the old one's about. And the new one is just about somebody trying to sort of make a name for themselves. Easily someone in media relations. If it happens in New England, trust me, that gets set up like that in that scenario. And not just that scenario. Anything where someone's not supposed to be where they're, doing, be where they're supposed to be or doing what they're supposed to do on game day. With all the nationals and locals plowing through that area, there's 300 people in there. They'll tell them and they'll stop doing it or they'll move them. They move people all the time. Like, I just don't understand why it got to this point. Except I do understand. It's to get you. I gotcha. Ah, the damage has been done. What? And then Mandela is like freezing. Like, what damage? What are you talking about? Uh, what do you mean damage? There's been no damage. I, I took some film. What are you talking about? Just here, if you want it, erase it. I, I haven't sent it. It's right there. Take it. I haven't sent it back to my bosses. You know, I haven't done anything with it. If you, if you weren't supposed to do it and I didn't know, just take it. Destroy it. So 
No, but again, the idea of damage isn't the cheating damage because there's again, and not that Mondello would know and he wouldn't have anything to do with this. The KSP guys don't know or care or have any clue on this stuff, and it's not their job to. But there's no competitive advantage to that. That's been done for 12 years. That's been done for since they changed the rules to the to the communications being coming in through through uh, radio signals. And we know that, all right? We covered that exhaustively on the last show. But I felt like I had to at least touch on this on the way out. And I say all that, and I, I still think they'll probably find the team or something, which is so stupid because it has nothing to do with nothing. But what they're going to be most concerned with is the perception. All I see is a video camera. All I see is... Uh, a shot of the field. And we've got a monstrous, many, many, many millions of fans that watch this league. And we told them for 10 years that the simple act of taping the field was bad. The simple act of taping sidelines for signals was evil and nefarious. And, uh, you know, we, we have to, we have to keep that, that ruse alive. And, uh, if we don't react in kind here, it's going to be tough from a sort of, you know, PR standpoint. So it just seems like somebody's going to get fined. It's stupid that they are because this has, there's zero competitive advantage to this. This is just about, it looks bad. And well, it doesn't look bad if you didn't blow it out of proportion. proportion. It, and honestly, the NFL, if they were really good at this and they could get a little better at controlling their messaging, they go into the bingo security and say, hey, motherfuckers, don't do this. Come on. We don't need to sort of blow smoke over the top of our game unless, of course, they want to do it if it's just the Patriots. Maybe they do want that, right? But th- this is just so unnecessary. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. It, 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 fla- fanning the flames to sort of Joe Fan who doesn't pay attention that much that happens to live in Seattle or Arizona or Denver or Minnesota, uh, Kansas City. Shit, I have, I have neighbors, uh, friends back in Iowa, South Dakota, and the neighbors get around and they talk about this and they heard about this news piece and all oh, those fucking cheating patriots. That's all that got through. Through the fog, and that's all that anyone hears. And it's such misinformation, just, uh, you know, gleefully ignorant kind of uh, NFL fan base. Not because they're not smart people, they just get really crappy information. When you exaggerate and don't tell people first, oh, by the way, everyone, raise my hand. Before I introduce you to this piece of news, know that there's nothing to be stolen. There's no signals to steal as there were 10 years ago. But unfortunately, that's just not how it works. And uh, good people get caught up in this that are doing completely innocent things. And uh, they can somehow make it make sense by saying, oh, remember something similar that really isn't similar at all (laughs) happened 12 years ago. And somehow there's a lot of people out there with brains in their head that nod along and go, yeah, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. (sighs) All right, that's your racer showing on Match Adam. Hang in there, folks. Patriots are ascending. This happens every time of year. Uh, Good week of work here against the Bengals. Big week coming up against the Bills. Once again, Matt Chatham, Razor Show. Talk at you again on the inside.